they're scattered over uh, a certain territory. We suggested aliens in the sense of foreigners to this planet, to this world. We're like extraterrestrials because we're in God's world. We're, we belong to a whole different uh, system, whole different race. And I think a lot of First Peter is dealing with those concepts. How do you behave in the world that you don't belong to? And he says in verse 11 of chapter 2, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. You don't do the things that people uh, who are natives to this land do. You know, you've got a different culture, a different uh, calling, a different whole orientation. And by doing that, by keeping your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, they, when they see your good deeds, end up glorifying God. You know, we are an advertisement for the Lord by how we live, or should be. And the best way to respond to attacks against our faith is not to mount some sort of campaign of self-defense, but to live in such a way that our lives are a response to that. That we, that people may say, well, he's a religious fanatic, but he sure does live it, or something like that. You know, we don't, we don't agree with what he stands for, but he's got integrity. We hope that if, if we live like that, then people are brought to glorify God and even to be converted by, by that behavior. There's a lot of evangelistic value in a, in a life that's dedicated to the Lord, a life that's not uh, conformed to the environment we're in. And so from that standpoint, he goes on to talk about you know, how do we live and how do we deal with different things in this worldly environment? So, 13 to 17. <clears throat> Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now it looks to me like, in verse 13, you've kind of got the principle that's going to govern the next uh, several sections. The idea that you submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Then he's going to say, like kings, like governors, like masters, like husbands. <clears throat> you know, you've got different um, roles, relationships, different human institutions. And the right thing for a Christian to do in that is to submit, is to um, humble themselves and respect uh, the authority of whoever that may be. Um, that's, and, and you do that for the Lord's sake. That's what God wants, is for us to be submissive and obedient people in our political situation, in our economic situation, in our social situation. Christians will not be revolutionaries in those areas. We're revolutionary in how we live, in the calling to serve God, in we're extraterrestrials, but we actually are very obedient in the various roles and relationships that we have. We, we could say, you know, we, we submit to the boss, the foreman, you know, we submit to the police, we submit to the teacher of the class, you know, to the head of the club, you know, whatever. 
we are submissive as opposed to rebellious people in a general sense. Um, and so then he says, that means like to a king as the one in authority, or the governor, which would be kind of like a lower official. The king's the supreme ruler, and the governor is somebody that's under him, but over us, so we are to submit. Now, we don't have to have a king, you know, we've got a president, and because we're a democracy, really a representative government, but we have some say in who becomes president and things like that. You know, would you have to submit to somebody who was like a monarch, like you didn't get to vote on him or anything like that? Well, yes, especially since that's what it says. Yeah, <laughs> and what it says, and they were under a king, right? They didn't call him a king, they called him a... The yeah, Caesar, yeah, the emperor. But, but yeah, you were to submit whether, you know, they were democratically elected or whether or not they just took over the government. You know, it didn't really matter. You're, we're not the revolutionaries that fight to change the system in some sort of a violent way. Uh, we submit to whatever form of government there is. And, you know, he sees this as a way of silencing the ignorance of foolish men. When we do right, when we're submissive, when we're good citizens, we're not anarchists, you know, we are not, you know, out to overthrow the system, we're not, you know, making a nuisance out of ourselves because we don't want to follow the rules, you know, we don't want to respect the authority. But by our behavior, you know, we're going to silence the criticism. Would people criticize us for being a Christian? You know, just trying to be defensive and verbally, you know, answer everything that they say about us is probably not going to help. I mean, some of that stuff's better off ignored. But if we live this way, you know, people are going to see, well, you know, he's, I don't agree with what he believes, but, but there's something about how he conducts his life that they can see, you know, an amazing amount of humility. And obedience in that. That's what he wants. You know, have our behavior, you know, be a, a testimony to the gospel. Thoughts? We go through this. He says, act as free men. We are free. But what does freedom mean? We're free to choose to submit. We are not submitting because they're bigger than us. We're submitting because we want to submit, because we have we have decided that that's the right thing to do, and and we we want to glorify God. We want to do what God wants us to. You know, it, it's hard to enslave somebody who submits, right? I mean, you know, if I say I I'm going to make you do this, and you say no, I'm going to do it because I want to. You know, you can't make somebody do something they want to do. They choose to do. And so our freedom is a freedom to do what we choose to do in submitting to the authority, to the whatever institution. So don't abuse that freedom. This is not some covering for evil behavior. It's not a pretext for misconduct. Our freedom is the freedom to choose to voluntarily submit because we want to glorify God to those who are in authority. Thoughts and comments? <clears throat> Seventeen kind of sums this up. Um, kind of three 
important statements and then kind of reverts back to what he's been saying in the context. So honor all people. Uh, some people don't seem like they ought to be honored. Why would you honor them? Because they're people, they're made in God's image. Okay. They, I mean, they're made in God's, Im God's image. Jesus died for them. Jesus loves them. They are capable of being regenerated and reconciled back to God. Does it mean that we agree with them? It wouldn't even necessarily mean we don't rebuke them or or fight against what they do or teach, but we respect their personhood. You know. Nobody is trash. I mean, everybody is a person made in the image of God. And we just have, there, there's a tendency, I think, to, to be very disparaging about people that we look down on. So maybe people from other races or cultures or people from other social classes or people that we don't think are very nice looking or very intelligent or very athletic or, you know, and, and some people almost get sub-person sub status for us, you know, and that's really not the right thing. Uh, everybody ought to be respected in their pers personhood. Uh, like I say, we may, we may rebuke them, we may, we may warn other people about them, but we, we respect the fact that they are a person that God made and that God loves and that God would like to redeem if they repent. So I think that's that's a powerful statement, worthy of, of thought, and I think we struggle, I struggle with, you know, honoring all men. But now, there's another level. There are the, they're the brethren, the brotherhood, he says, but that just means the, the brothers. What do I do with the brethren? <clears throat> yeah, which is a higher level. Loving is more than just honoring or respecting, and being a brother is more than just being all men. So you go from honoring all men to you love the brethren. If, if he's a brother in Christ, now that, that you've got a stronger closeness and commitment. And then we go one step beyond that, a huge step, of course, fear God. You know, God's, wow, he's in a whole different category. How many times in the Bible does it say, do not fear men? We're not supposed to fear men, but we are to fear God. He is the great God, he is the ruler, he is the judge, and we ought to respect him, we ought to fear him. And then he comes back, honor the king, which is kind of what he's been saying in these last few verses. That's kind of interesting, though. He puts the king on the same level as all men, yeah. Because he says to do the same thing to the king, honor the king, that he said to do to all men, honor all men. Uh, and again, I don't think that means that we could not speak against a governmental authority. We sure see a lot of that in the Bible. You know, the prophets speaking against John the Baptist and Herod, and, uh, you know, so forth and so on. But it does mean you respect their function and you submissive, you're obedient, <clears throat> you're uh, you know, keep with the etiquette of how you treat somebody in a high position and things like that. So thoughts and comments uh, through verse 17. 
All right. Um, 18 to 25. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows and suffering unjustly for what... <clears throat> unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin, you are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep. And now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So, servants, submit to your masters with all respect. You know, they have a position in society that they're over us. We need to respect them. We need to show them proper, you know manners and and just just the kind of honor they deserve i'm sorry about that um but you know not all the uh all the masters are of the same quality right some of them are ornery and mean and cruel how do you treat those that would be difficult how do you treat a really vicious master submissively and respectfully That's, that's a challenge. You know, we have a hard time even as employees treating our, you know, ordinary bosses, you know, respectfully. And, you know, I mean, it's like, I deserve better than this. You can't do this to me. So how do we manage to do that? It just, I mean, part of it is you just do the best you can in trying to, whether it's trying to see the good in them or just say, I'm not doing this because of this person, but it's it's all about what God has asked me to do. The only reason I'm doing this is because God said to do this, so I'm going to do this, and I'm going to try hard to... Amen. Focusing on the Lord and submitting to glorify God and to please God and you know, recognizing God will right the wrongs. We can submit to an unjust master if we were in a slave-master relationship because, you know, the Lord's going to take care of it. He will He will perform justice. And so instead of feeling sorry for myself or resentment, I need to just submit, suffer mistreatment, if that be the case, and the Lord will resolve it. Now, we're not in an economic system that, you know, has slavery, but we may be in situations that are really unjust and just, you know, even outraged and indignant, and how can you do this to me, you know, well, we may need to rethink our attitude in that. He presents Jesus as the model, which is really impressive. I mean, wow, think about Jesus. He's a lot different than us, Right? What's different about Jesus? 
Well, he's God. Yeah. Any mistreatment was unjust to him. Why would you say that? Because he wouldn't sin or do anything wrong. Yeah! You know, <clears throat> when I spent a lot of time in prison visiting, um, I, I, I saw some guys who weren't, you know, who weren't guilty, I don't think, of what they were convicted of. The, some of them convinced me they weren't. Almost all of them I knew were guilty of something they could have been convicted of just as easily. You know, so whether they were technically, sometimes I think even the prosecution knew it. You know, uh, they just kind of plea bargained to something even if they weren't guilty of it, or they got them on something because they knew they were guilty. You know, I'm not saying there's no innocent prisoners, but, but you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, <laughs> prove to me you're not guilty of kidnapping her, but... You're guilty of, you know, robbing from him. You know, is it really, I mean, you know, he's still guilty. And all of us are. Which of us are sinless? But but Peter says, Jesus committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. I assume he uses that, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, thinking that, you know, the way, even a really good person would sin would be with what he says. You know, that's kind of like, you know, even the greatest people sin in their speech. And Jesus didn't do that. Now, who's saying this about Jesus? <clears throat> Who said he didn't sin and didn't have any guile in his mouth? Well, it's quoting Isaiah 53. True. But who's writing it? Who's who's applying that to Jesus? Peter. So tell me you can live with somebody for a couple of years, night and day, and be everywhere they are and see everything they do, and say, here's a guy who never sinned and who never said anything wrong. It wouldn't take two years of living with somebody or three or whatever for us to figure out, ah, uh, no. <laughs> you know, they may be a pretty good guy, but you know, I've seen them in bad moments. <laughs> Peter had never seen Jesus in a bad moment. He'd never seen him sin. He'd never seen him say anything that he shouldn't have said. And so when Jesus is treated harshly, he doesn't deserve it at all. We may not deserve it in the sense that, you know, what they're doing to us, they don't have the right to, but we sure deserve to be suffering and punished by because of what we've done. So this is amazing that Jesus was patiently willing to endure injustice and mistreatment, and as such, he's our model. You know, we have to pattern our life after him. And uh, so, that means, what did he do when he was being slandered on trial? He didn't say anything. You ever been falsely accused? <clears throat> well, how does that make you feel? Usually fairly angry. It raises your blood pressure a notch or two, doesn't it? You know? Just like, they can't say that about me! You know, and we just, our eyes start bugging out, and, you know, we're just outraged. We make, you know, do something physically violent. It's just like, that is not right. Jesus. Doesn't say a word. Doesn't even speak back to the governor to say anything. 
doesn't try to defend himself. On the cross, he says, forgive him. <laughs> wow. Jesus is a wonderful example. You know, he, and, and that's what he's presented as here. He left you an example for you to follow in his steps. So when he was reviled, he didn't revile back. When he was suffering, he didn't threaten back. <coughs> he entrusted himself to God. That's our lesson, you know, is to just entrust ourselves to the Lord and be willing to be treated unfairly and unjustly. What do you think about that as we're going to, through 22, 23? In 23, do you have kept entrusting? I do. Okay. Because that struck me as being more than entrusting himself <coughs> once, but it's like every moment he's doing it again, almost, just like... Maybe almost like he needed God's constant help to... Yeah, with every lash, with every nail, you know, that kind of a, he can, he kept in, he's going, okay, I'm still going to trust you. This next blow is going to hurt even more, and I'm still going to trust you. And just that idea of continual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we're entrusted, trusting ourselves to the Lord, he'll take care of what needs to be done. He'll take care of exacting vengeance or retribution or whatever and so we can just submit and meekly and quietly you know endure things that just aren't fair and aren't right and uh, I feel like sometimes that concept is almost easier with large scale things than like small annoyances or injustices that I don't know Catch you off guard more or Sounds like David when he, the the chapter where he flew off the handle against Nabal is flanked by chapters where he didn't take vengeance against Saul. Yeah. Nabal insulted him, but Saul was chasing him all over the country trying to kill him. He got, he, he could keep his cool with Saul, but Nabal insults him and he, you know, flies into a rage and wants to kill him. So I think you're right. I think there are times that we get up for the big test and we fail on the smaller ones. Somebody uh, doesn't treat us right when we're driving or something. You know, it's like, wow, we could get all bent out of shape. I mean, road rage and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, was that really worth it? I mean, you know, you didn't hit him. You know, maybe maybe, uh, maybe it was a close call, but, you know, everything's okay. Relax. <laughs> That's hard for us, isn't it? Because, you know, I mean, for me, I think a lot of it is just feeling like, well, I've been disrespected, you know, I've, I've been treated right. This, this sense of righteous indignation, this isn't fair, this shouldn't happen, and, you know, I'm not going to tolerate this. Well, who am I not to tolerate? If God doesn't want to tolerate it, he can handle the job, but it's not my job. Well, I feel like the, um, the this isn't fair angle, you know, there's some truth in, and it's probably right for us to Day, you know, when something unfair happens, again, it bothers us because we have a sense of justice, and I think that's right. Um, so it's not that we suddenly think those things are fair Correct. or something like that, but it's just that hey, we acknowledge, you know what, that really wasn't fair, but I'm not going to get all bent out of shape because of 
I'm trusting in the Lord, and because, well, I probably deserve something, <laughs> and those kinds of things. Yes, and I think really trusting that the Lord will execute retribution. I mean, think about some of the imprecatory psalms, and, you know, I mean, you can turn over to God, and God, they deserve to be punished, you know. Make them a failure. Don't don't let them succeed in their evil purposes. That's 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 reasonable. Yeah, I feel like sometimes we overemphasize and like misapply and start to say, oh, you know, oh, I'm sure they were really trying to do the right thing. Well, maybe, but in some cases, the other person really wasn't trying to do the right thing. And you think about the people who were crucifying Jesus. I think they fit in that category. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Why were they opposed to Jesus half of the way? Because he was stealing their crowd. I mean, things like that. It was just such a bad attitude. And yet, Jesus entrusted himself to God instead of taking vengeance for himself. Other thoughts to 23? Well, in 24... He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Now this is a pretty important passage in understanding what Jesus' death has to do with our salvation. And it looks to me like he's saying he bore our sins. There's some people who want to they make bore mean something other than what I think it does. But I think the idea is he carried them on himself. He, he shouldered them. And, and so he, uh, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. By his wounds you were healed. So I think the idea is that Jesus was punished in our place. He was totally innocent. He didn't deserve any of what he went through, but he went through it to pay the price for us to be released from it. Um, you know, he, Almost like took our blame, took our guilt, suffered our curse, you know, paid our consequences. Um, and so he's like a substitute, which is really what a sacrifice is. You know, in the Old Testament, the man sinned, the man should die, but the lamb was killed in place of the man. The, the substitute. Jesus was our substitute. He took the whipping that my sins deserved, so I don't have to take it. That is not anymore believed universally by brethren. But I think there's a whole lot of reasons to just take what he says here and, and believe it. You know, there's some brethren who would say this is Calvinism. Well, it, it happens to be Bibleism, you know. I mean, Calvin said some things that were right. Uh, he said some things that were wrong. But if it's in the Bible, that's, that's the way it ought to, we ought to take it. And so, you know, that... It looks to me like he's saying that, you know, he, by his wounds, you were healed. So it's by what he suffered that we were cured, that we were not physically healed, but spiritually healed. So, you know, he went through all that for us. He went through all that to take the punishment we should have taken. Was it fair for Jesus to have to go through this? Was this just? You know, he was an innocent sufferer. And so he's a model for innocent sufferers. And so he said you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls, which is the Lord. Thoughts and comments there on the rest of chapter 2. So 
people who would say that Jesus didn't bear our sins, like, what would they make of Jesus' death at all? Like, what, what was the purpose of it? Um, I think they might say it showed us how much God loved us. But if it didn't do anything, why does that show that he loved? Well, it gave us a good example. It is a weird theory. <laughs> it, but it's really po- popular. I mean, p- more and more people in, among brethren are, are on that side. Um, I don't understand it because I, I would make exactly the same argument. I mean, in some of the people's theories, it's like Jesus didn't really need to die. Which, I mean, we're trying. I think we have maybe not focused as much as we should have. And some of the deeper, I don't want to, I don't know if this is the right word, but the deeper theory of, of justification. You know, it's a little more, you know, I don't know the, a little the harder to do. Of, of little sacrifice t- and atonement. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And expiation and yeah. propitiation and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, it's not as concrete, it's not easy to get your hands around. So we just kind of left it at what Jesus died for us. But, but if we understand what happened, really, it's like, you know, God executed the punishment of our sins in Jesus. And I think when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That God had forsaken him, so to speak, because he was bearing our sins. And he experienced an agony we would never have to experience. All right, things you want to say about chapter 2? Well, chapter 3, verses 1 and 7.